We're working our way into Faithful Part 2 tonight. And growing up as a kid, I had the dumbest dog in the history of dumb dogs. Like this dog was completely idiotic. It was just the stuff he would do. As soon as he got off a leash, we were in trouble. And uh, one day, it was a really hot day like it was earlier, earlier today. And he got off the leash ran down the block and my neighbor had their front door open and their side door open to get some breeze going. And the dog ran in the front door, past the woman cooking in the kitchen, past the, the man sitting up in his chair watching TV and out the side door. Um, this dog is the same dog that I told you about a few weeks ago when we were on a long trip. My sister was eating an apple. He snatched the apple out of her hand, followed it up with a nice burp. This is the same dog that on the same trip decided that he was going to, as we stopped by a lake, he was just going to dive in the lake. And we're like, we have no way of cleaning you. We have more traveling to do here in the car. What are you doing? But I will say this, as dumb as this dog was, this dog was faithful. Like this dog was by your side, dependable, reliable. I bet you guys have a pet that you feel like that about as well. And here in this series, we've been defining faithful as dependable, reliable, unwavering. Now here's the thing. I think we think Every one of us have discovered the reason why God won't be faithful to us, you know? Like, uh, if God's faithful and dependable and reliable and unwavering, we've all kind of come up with the reason why that wouldn't apply to us. And I think for most of us, it falls into one of these three categories. I think some of us think the reason God won't be faithful to us is because of the severity of something we have done. And so we think back on something that keeps us awake at night, uh, that thing that you think about first thing in the morning that you really regret. And maybe you wouldn't even say it out loud that you think this separates you from God's faithfulness, but man, I, I shouldn't have slept with that person. I shouldn't have said those things. I shouldn't have made that person look so stupid and just drilled into them in the, in the middle of a huge crowd. I shouldn't have held on to that anger in my heart for so long. And there's that thing that just comes back to severity. It's such a big deal. I can't imagine God would be faithful to me. The second category is this, it's the severity of what has been done to you. The severity of what's been done to you. Some of you guys would say, man, I've been through some really difficult things. I've been abused, I've been put down, I've been bullied, I've been berated by a parent or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse and I just feel like worthless and I'm sure God's faithful and all, but I don't know that he wanted to be faithful to this. You just feel worthless at this point. And the third category is this, the longevity of your struggle. So we got the severity of the struggle. We got severity of what's been done to you. But then there's the longevity of your struggle. And some of you, it's not like you have this big, huge thing you regret. It's just how long your struggle has been with a certain thing in your life. And you're wrestling with how could God be faithful to me when I've been addicted for so long? How can God be faithful to me when I've been angry for so long? Severity of what you've done. Severity of what's been done to you or the longevity of the struggle. Maybe you find yourself there. Or maybe you're like, no, 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 Doug, I'm convinced Jesus loves me. I'm good with him. But there are some people in my life that I really care for that I'm worried about. I'm worried, will God be faithful to rescue them? I mean, they've done some severe things. There's some severe things that have happened to them where they've been struggling with this for so long. Will God be faithful to rescue them? We're going to talk about this here today. And this is so important for you and I to hear today because I don't know if you recognize this or not, but your peace is tied to God's faithfulness. Your peace is tied to God's faithfulness. The peace that you sometimes walk in, you know, peace is always kind of trying to float away. It's like you get it and then it floats away a little bit, right? You have a moment, I feel at peace, and then it starts to float away. A situation comes up, a challenge comes up, and suddenly you have no peace. And I'm telling you right now, your peace is tied to God's faithfulness. You know somebody, I bet, and you watch them closely. 
and, and, and they're struggling with some stuff and life's beating them up a little bit, but, but you see this constant peace in their life. It's almost annoying. Like, why are you still at peace? You should not be okay right now. I'm telling you what they discovered. They discovered that their peace is tied to God's faithfulness. And I'm gonna take it a step further. Their peace is tied to their understanding of God's faithfulness. Like when they are clued into this faithful God, suddenly there's this peace that follows. And so today, as I talk about you and I, Understanding the faithfulness of God when it comes to the severity and the longevity of these sin issues in our lives and struggles we've walked through and hurts we've incurred, I pray today the peace of God will land right on you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming and being with us. And I pray that you will feel right at home here tonight. And maybe you're thinking, well, God's talking, I mean, this guy Doug's talking about God's faithfulness and how good he is to people. But I don't think that's to people like me, people who struggle with stuff. Maybe he's faithful to people who are faithful to him. Maybe he's faithful to people who have figured out somehow how to live a life without struggle. But that's not me. Well, today I pray you'll hear some really encouraging news today. And we're going to look through the eyes of somebody that we don't talk about a lot. In fact, I'm kind of hoping you've never heard a sermon on the verses we're going to use today because we're going to look through somebody's eyes that are pretty unique. We're going to look through the eyes of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. We find his story in Matthew 27 and Luke 23. But I don't know if you've ever done kind of like a deep dive into his point of view. But think about it. On the day of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, you have hanging next to him on either side two criminals. And I just wonder, as we get some insight into one of them, I just wonder what he was thinking and what he was feeling exactly. I mean, he's hanging on a cross. He's being killed for the things that he's been done. So I can imagine, obviously, like you and I would feel, he's under a great deal of stress. And here he is, kind of a mess, and he knows the severity of the things he's done. He knows the severity of what's now being done to him. Like he's been told he must die for his wrongdoings. Like that's a really traumatic thing. And then lastly, he knows the longevity of his struggle. Imagine his perspective. Like, what was he thinking and feeling as he's on that cross next to Jesus? And this guy was not just a thief like he had done it once or twice. He was the worst kind of thief. And we know that because only the worst criminals were condemned to die through crucifixion. When I was about three years old, I was in a grocery store and my mom was pushing me in a little stroller cart thing. I guess, yeah, I guess three years probably should have been walking by then, but I'm in the little cart and I look over and I see the candy rack. You know, they tempt you with the candy rack as you're checking out. And I saw in the candy rack a pack of certs. Now, most of you were born earlier, or I'm sorry, after 1980. You don't know what certs are. Certs are these fancy lifesavers. They're legit. And my great-grandfather, the Italian stallion, Anthony Morello, loved certs. They were his favorite candy and somehow he smelled like them too. Like I think he got a custom certs cologne thing happening. And so I saw saw the candy. I grabbed the candy, did not pay for the candy, had no idea I even needed to. I was just thinking, I'm going to give this to my grandpa. Fast forward some years and my family's driving across country and we stop at this store. And back in the day, it was really cool to put buttons all over your jean jacket. Everybody was wearing a jean jacket. You had to put buttons, your bands, 80s sayings, totally tubular, radical man, all this stuff all over your jean jacket. And I saw this one button and we're like in the middle of Alabama. And I'm like, this is a legit button. And so I tried it on, on my jean jacket. And I was looking in the mirror, checking it out, making sure it looked good next to all my 80s bands and everything. And as I'm doing that, my sister calls me over. I get a little distracted. Next thing I know, we are an hour from the store and I forgot the button was on my jacket until I looked down and went, Dad, 
I, I didn't pay for this button. My dad drove the hour back, made me take the button off, explain the story. We lost two hours round trip because of that. Listen, the man on the cross next to Jesus did not grab a candy, did not walk out with a button on his coat he should have paid for. No, this guy was like a career criminal. He was a thief like you've never seen before. This guy was the lowest of the low. What is his perspective as he's hanging on a cross next to the savior of the world, knowing the severity of what he's done, what's been done to him, and the longevity of his struggle? In Matthew 27, 44, we find out what's going on with him. At first, it says this, the rebels who were crucified with Jesus, that's these two thieves, or these two criminals, also heaped insults on him. And so when we meet the thief on the cross, man, he is horrible to Jesus. He is mocking the savior of the world on the cross. He's, he's just as bad as the religious leaders that put him there, the crowd that yelled crucify, and the soldiers that nailed the nails into his hands and feet. I just want to pause for a second and say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to know tonight that Jesus endured all that for you, the mocking and the beating and being nailed to a cross that you would know him and know forgiveness. But we're gonna see more of that in just a minute. But you would have thought if anybody could relate to Jesus' pain in the moment, it was these two guys on the crosses next to him because they're in the same spot. Only difference is, is Jesus is a lot more beat up. The scripture says he was almost unrecognizable as a human being. And the other huge difference is Jesus is innocent and these men were guilty. And here they are mocking him, making fun of him. What do we have here, guys? We have people just at the worst that humans can be, right? Think about the severity of their sin. If you're watching a movie, you're rooting against these two guys on the cross next to Jesus. Like these guys are the villains of the story as they insult Jesus. And, and Wayne Jackson says this, the Greek grammar, the, the wordage around all this suggests it wasn't just like the guy, you know, threw one little jab at Jesus. It actually suggests a repeated verbal assault, so Jesus is suffering in our place and he's getting mocked and made fun of and belittled and this guy's just trying to make him look as bad as possible, unrelenting. Think about not only how severe this man's sin was his whole life, but then in that moment too. Why would God be faithful to him? And that's you and me sometimes. We think about the struggle in our lives. We think about how we handled something. We think about the horrible sin we fell into. We think about that season when we just couldn't get it, seem to get anything right in life. And then we ask the question, God, why would you be faithful to me? The severity of my sin is so great. We're gonna head over to Luke 23 for the rest of the story. It says this in verse 38. There was a written notice above Jesus which read, this is the king of the Jews. That was meant to mock him as well. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So this is not the thief. This is the other criminal there. He's still mocking Jesus. He's gonna spend his dying breaths mocking Jesus. Verse 40, but the other criminal, this is the thief, this is our guy, right? Rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. He says, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. In this moment, this thief is going, no, this is what I deserve. I've been mocking Jesus along with you, but I'm realizing something here. He doesn't deserve this. I do. Then it goes on. But this man, he says, has done nothing wrong. He has seen something in Jesus here. He, he's seen something that draws him in. He's seen something about the, the beauty and the holiness and the perfection of Jesus. And he also seen something about himself, his own brokenness. And then is one of the most amazing things said in scripture. Verse 42. Look at this. Then he said, 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man, this thief, this person who had this long severity of sin, horrible things done to him. I mean, you can only imagine somebody like this was hated. Who's the last person that was nice to him? Didn't belittle him, didn't spin on him when he walked by, right? And and the longevity of his struggle, here he is asking for forgiveness and redemption. And he had this deep understanding of who Jesus was in this moment. It's like veils were taken off his eyes. Let me ask you a question. Who would ask the dying person next to them to save them? Like, who does that? Who would ask the person on the cross next to them if they believe it's only a man just like them? No, he saw that this was not the end for Jesus. God began to open this man's eyes and heart in his final moments to who he was. There was something in Jesus that drew him in and caused faith to come out of him. And instead of asking to be taken down off the cross, he was asked, he has to be taken up with Jesus. What a beautiful moment right near this man's last breath. Now let's ask a question. What did he do to undo all the wrongs of his life in that moment? Like, like he's hanging on the cross. What can he do? He can't pay anybody back. He can't give back all the stuff that he's stolen. He can't figure out how to live a new life in these final moments. What had he done? Not one thing, not one thing to make himself worthy of a faithful God. So what happens? Well, surely Jesus looked back at him and said, I'm sorry, I can't let you into heaven because of the severity of what you've done and what's been done to you and the longevity of your struggle. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse 43, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Can we just tap into this man's emotions for a minute? Can't you imagine that this man who knew he was facing death and had no clue what eternity looked like on the other side of that has suddenly been given a gift of life and what? Peace. Peace. Here's a guy going, I never thought I could figure out how to get into heaven. This is unbelievable. This man just said, just Savior just told me that I will be with him in paradise. This is a gift I could never have earned. I could never have righted all the wrongs. And he knew the severity of what he'd done. He lived a life against God and man. He he knew what had been done to him. I mean, think about bearing the weight leading up to his crucifixion, this thief, and knowing how painful it would be and knowing how horrifying it would be and how embarrassing for his family it would be. And he knew the longevity of his struggle. You don't just steal once and then get crucified. This is probably something that's plagued him for a long, long time. And he knows what he deserves. But instead, Jesus gives him a glimpse of mercy, grace, and faithfulness. And the day would come where Jesus would be faithful to those words, right? The time would come where Jesus and this man would be reunited. Can you imagine that? Like, can you picture that scene in heaven where Jesus, pure, holy, perfect God, is reunited with this thief who in his last moments put his trust in Jesus and saw something, saw something that he'd never seen anywhere else before. Grace, mercy, faithfulness. Guys, you might think you're unworthy, You might might think, well, I'm so thankful that God's faithful, but the severity of what I've done, the longevity of my sin struggles, the, the brokenness of my past, my whole life to this point, you might say, has been trying to recover from a trauma that happened to me as a child. I was so belittled. I was so beaten down by what took place. I can't imagine a faithful God wants this. Severity of your sin, severity of the struggle, longevity of your struggle. Here's what I need you to see today. Here's the hope of the thief on the cross. Here's what Jesus does for you and does for me. Here's what I need you to grab a hold of. The severity and longevity of sin are no match for the faithfulness of God. 
The severity and longevity of sin are no match for the faithfulness of God. Are you worried about your heart? He is faithful, guys. He is faithful. The scriptures tell us that the one who started a work in us will finish the work. He is faithful. Now listen to me. This is really important. Is he going to sometimes, because he loves you, call you out of some stuff? Yes. We're going to talk about that in week four. See, this idea that because God is faithful, we should strive to live a faithful life back to him in response, right? We're going to talk about that in week four. But right here and now, you need to know that he's going to call you out of some stuff that's killing your soul, that's killing your relationships, that's killing your influence, that's killing your witness, that's killing your ability to reach out to others. He is going to call you out of that. He's not looking at you and I and pretending we're all perfect. He understands there's some work to be done in our lives. And he's also not writing a blank check saying, oh, go do whatever you want now. Have fun. I'll just forgive you right? Now he knows there's consequences and it always is our best to do things God's way. But here is where we start. God, you are faithful. You are faithful to me. The severity of my sin, the severity of what's been done to me, the longevity of my struggle, you are faithful. So maybe you're worried about you, but maybe you're worried about somebody else. You're worried about your boyfriend or girlfriend or your your parent or your child or your grandkid or your friend at school or work, and you're like, man, I just can't imagine like where they're so far from God. Maybe you're thinking of somebody who, who used to be here, like used to be at church with us gathered, and they're far. Maybe you're thinking of somebody who's never put their trust in Jesus, and they're the last person you could ever imagine putting their trust in Jesus. Guys, the thief on the cross is the hope for those people, right? The hope that God could do anything in any moment. And I just feel too, like, as I was getting ready to, to share this with you guys, I'm supposed to just encourage some of you with some of you have lost some people. Some of you have lost some people and you don't know where they are today. Like, you don't know if they're with Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, you never know what God is doing in the final moments of somebody's life. Like, think about the thief on the cross. I would guess, I don't know this, I would guess his family was not at the crucifixion because this was an ugly, uh, an ugly sight. It was a shameful sight. My guess is his family was not gathered there to watch this thief be crucified. And my guess is if you said to his family, hey, do you think he's in heaven? Do you think he made it, right? I would guess they would all come back and go, don't you know the kind of man he was? Like, don't you know what he did? Don't you know how far he was from God? There's no way he's in heaven. In fact, let me say it this way, that this man here, this man here, man, he, he was the last person anybody believed would be the first person to look to the crucified Savior for forgiveness. He was the last person anybody thought would be the first person to look to the crucified Savior for forgiveness. Yet that's exactly his story. Because God is faithful and God is working and you never know what he's doing in those last moments in someone's life. And so what do we do? How do we respond? We rest in his faithfulness. We just rest in it. We go, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you, but, but my sin is too great. I've done too many things. I shouldn't have slept. I shouldn't have cheated. I shouldn't have lied. I shouldn't have. Okay. Rest in his faithfulness because his faithfulness is greater than the severity of your sin. But what about the severity of what was done to me? Just the brokenness and the bullying and the, and the belittling and the berating and the assault and the abuse and the, we rest in his faithfulness because listen to me, Can we think about Jesus for a minute? He was assaulted for you. He was belittled for you. He was abused for you, right? So that you and I could walk free of the belittling and the abuse that we experience here and now. That thing that happened to you is not greater than the faithfulness of God. What about the longevity of my struggle, Doug? It's been so long. I can't shake the addiction. I I can't shake the hate. What do I do here? Well, we look back to the longevity of the struggle of Jesus. Not with sin, 
but with bearing the burden of being our savior. You know, he was called the man of sorrows because he lived his life looking forward to the cross. He lived his life knowing there would be a day that he would be arrested and then he'd be beaten and then he'd be crucified and he'd hang on that cross for hours, this longevity of his struggle and walk to be your savior and mine. We rest in God's faithfulness. You know what happened? Just like the thief on the cross, a peace, a peace, right? I said before, that, like peace is this thing we're always chasing and we have it for a minute and then it floats away. And suddenly we began to realize that our, our peace is tied to God's faithfulness. Our peace is tied to our understanding of God's faithfulness. I don't know if you've ever been out on a boat and the boat just starts to kind of float away. It goes with the current, but then suddenly somebody throws an anchor down and then it stays right there, right? God's faithfulness is the anchor for our peace. God's faithfulness is, is the anchor. It's that thing that we can just say, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna rest on the, the faithfulness of God. I'm gonna grab a hold of that thing. I'm gonna allow it to stay me, keep me right here and right now. And so is that anybody here today? Are you worried about yourself? Because of something you've done? Are you worried about somebody you love? Are you worried about somebody maybe you lost? You never know what God did in their final moments. You never know what God can do in the moments that your loved ones and friends still have. And you never know what God is going to take the brokenness, the severities, the longevities, the things done to you and the things you've done and turn them for good and use them in a beautiful and an amazing way. God's faithfulness, the anchor for our peace. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you've heard about a savior tonight who loves you and you're going, oh yeah, 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 but Doug, I, I didn't make myself right yet. I didn't like undo all the wrongs. Well, we look back to the thief on the cross, never had that chance, never had a chance. All he could do is what? Look to Jesus and say, let me be with you when I die. And Jesus faithfully said back, you will be with me. If you look to Jesus today and you begin to look to him as your savior and your, your faithful God and your conquering king, you'll begin to see him working in your life, and you can know with a, a, an assurance that you'll be with him in heaven someday. And for those of you guys here today wrestling, oh man, I just encourage you guys to know and hold on to and cling to this truth that the severity and longevity of sin is no match for the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. Jesus, how we give you praise, God, how we thank you, Lord, that you are bigger than all of the brokenness either we have found ourselves in or the brokenness that's been thrown our way, God. And we thank you so much, Lord, that we can hold fast to your faithfulness. Thank you that you are dependable, unwavering. Thank you that you were faithful to the words you spoke to the man on the cross next to you, that he is with you right now. And Jesus, we give you praise. I just want to pray for everybody. I want to pray for those who are struggling with the severity of what they've done or maybe a loved one has done and they're, and they're far from God. I just pray, God, that you'll use all that. I know you're going to use it all. Help us to see you use it all, God. And help us to be at peace, God. Help us not to wrestle with this stuff through the night anymore. Help us, God, not to, you know, toss and turn and wake up early and think about all of our regrets. Help us just to remember that your faithfulness is greater than the severity of our sin. And God, for those of us who have been abused or beaten down, berated, mocked and made fun of, I pray, Jesus, you would remind us that all those things happen to you as well so that we could be healed. And I pray healing over people here tonight that have been allowing that to, to, to lie to them and tell them they're not worthy of your faithfulness, God. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are in just in the longest struggle. It feels like the battle of our life. 
And I pray, Lord, that, God, you will bring breakthrough. But I pray that we'll stop believing that that long struggle rules us out from receiving your faithfulness. Thank you that you're dependable, reliable, unwavering. We need you. If you're not a father of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, you can pray with me now. Jesus, thank you for being faithful. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross in my place. Jesus, thank you for enduring the mocking and the spitting and the punching and the whipping and eventually the crucifixion. And Jesus, today I put my trust in you, not only that you died for me, but that you rose back to rescue and save me. Thank you for this gift of life. In your name I pray.